Utah Jazz are having their training camp in Vegas. Is there anything going on there? Plus, Charlie Brewer has left the Utes program. Graham and I will talk a little bit about what our thoughts are about Cam Rising being the new starting quarterback and a little MLB surprise from our new guest host, Nate Graham. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. Week 2 of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for Week 3 with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any Week 3 game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Welcome to another edition of The Thatcher Effect. This week's a little special for a lot of reasons. We've got a lot of drama covering both the Jazz and the Utes. Plus, I've, I've got a new host with me. For this week's episode, Richie was a little preoccupied with some work stuff, so I brought in one of the best sports minds I personally know, in my good friend Nate Graham. Graham, how are we doing today? We're doing super well. Thank you for that introduction. I'm excited (laughs) to be here. (laughs) Graham is just one of the best sports minds around, so I knew he'd be a good addition for this episode. So so let's get right into it. Before we get into the Utes, and, and we know that their drama is just out of this world, Let's talk about the Jazz. So we just received some news that they're going to be training, doing a training camp in Vegas this year. Is there anything we need to worry about? Is there any storyline behind that that's super major? Why do you think they made the move over there? I really don't think it's anything big or anything that especially fans need to read into too much. It's not unprecedented that an NBA organization does its training camp somewhere else. That's not the... That's not a big deal. And especially with people that are worried that if it means that the Jazz are going to leave Utah, I don't think that that has anything or any backing to that rumor. And especially with the rumors that Donovan might not want to stay in Utah, I just really don't find any weight to that. I mean, he just signed a contract, a long, I mean, a long-term contract, and I don't think he would have signed that if he was having second thoughts about staying in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I I think just the way Donovan's been playing and leading this Jazz team, I mean, there's no way that he's leaving, at least obviously before his contract was up, like you were saying. But I I think that personally that Ryan Smith and Dwayne Wade, and we've talked about this before a lot on the podcast, they're really trying to change the culture and the vibe of the Jazz. I think a lot of players around the league are... They casually make fun of Utah and just not wanting to play in Salt Lake City. But you find that a lot of players that actually play for the Jazz actually really enjoy their time when they come here. And you see that a lot of stars here are beloved by their fans. It's a good environment. 
So I, I just think maybe it's a some somewhat of a, a team bonding experience to maybe go out of state, play together, have a little bit of a out of Utah experience before the season starts. Because I think they they stacked up this year. Um, we thought, we, not we thought, but they did have a good team last year. Like we saw that in the regular season. And they're expected, they have the, basically the same expectations this year. But I think with some of the additions that they made in free agency and with the draft, th- this team can also be special. And I think if everyone stays, stays healthy, this can be a really good playoff run as well. We haven't really talked to you about the Jazz, obviously. So what are your thoughts about this upcoming season with them? Well, I think, especially this offseason, it's all about whether the Jazz are going to be a good postseason team. We've seen them obviously prove this past season that they were a great regular season team. And I think especially with this ownership and with just the leadership in the Jazz organization, they are in a very win-now sort of mindset. And in order to do that, Ryan Smith has obviously made it clear that he is willing to do anything, whether that is change the location of training camp or really anything picking up new players he's willing to do whatever it takes to build this team around Rudy and Donovan and make them a good postseason team okay also we've got some new news with required proof of vaccination with this upcoming jazz season or obviously if you're not vaccinated you have to have proof within the previous 72 hours that you do not have COVID-19 um Obviously, I, I think this is a big step forward because last year, as fun as it was to be back in the environment in Vivint Arena, it, you had to wear masks and, you know, that's just, you know, it's not, we, we understand, but obviously it, it alters the game experience, right? I just felt like we weren't really a lot closer as we were before in terms of, in terms of fans. But now it, all you have to do is basically show your proof of vaccination or obviously you just get a rapid test, stuff like that. Do you think that this new requirement for Jazz games is going to affect their future attendance? I definitely think that it will affect the attendance. And I think, I mean, obviously I think less people will be going to the games because especially in Utah, COVID-19 vaccinations is a very polarizing subject for a lot of people. And they don't want to get vaccinated and really get quite frustrated when people try to restrict what they're able to do based on their vaccination vaccination status. And so I think it will be interesting to see the fan reaction going forward, but also it will be interesting to see how many people are just willing to, okay, I'll just get the rapid test and I'll go sort of thing. And I think more than anything, it will affect the season ticket holders because those season ticket holders that are going to be going to every game they and they aren't vaccinated, that's requiring them to get a rapid test at a very frequent basis. As opposed to maybe a casual fan who will go to like one or two games throughout the season, that's not that big of a deal to go get a rapid test twice. But those people who are going on a consistent basis, it'll be interesting to see their reaction, especially because as far as ticket sales go, those are the patrons that have the most weight and the most voice. Right. I I feel pretty similar. I think that most people that go to jazz games, it's usually like they buy a small package deal or they only go to one or two. And so now when you have people who are complaining about this, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. If you really want to go see the Jazz, I think you're going to want to do what they ask you to do. So if you're a true Jazz fan, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Um, 
But I, I honestly think, going back to this roster, I, I honestly think that this can be a really good year. I loved the camaraderie and the chemistry that last team, last year's team really had, um, especially with those main functioning pieces going all the way to you know the sixth man and Jordan Clarkson. I, I just think they work really well together, and when they really found their groove, they looked like they honestly did look like the best team in the NBA. I, I look back to that that first half of the Memphis game in, in Game Six where the Jazz just looked absolutely unbelievable. And I thought, you know, this is the peak of Jazz basketball. This is what they can really look like at, at their best every single part of the season. Looking, looking around the league, do, do you think that the Jazz are primed to have another good year? I think they're primed to have another good year, definitely. I think there will be stiffer competition this year, especially if other teams in the West and also in the Eastern Conference can keep their rosters healthy. I think that's the name of the game is if you can have a healthy roster, I think the Jazz will be hard-pressed to make a deep run in the playoffs. And then especially I just find difficulty seeing anybody beating a healthy Nets roster oh, absolutely. right now. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the weird thing is, or I shouldn't say the weird thing, but the interesting thing to note is that there's, there's really only two states, or maybe it's cities, that are actually requiring vac- vaccinations for their players as well, and that's uh, New York and California. And so some people are wondering, well, is Kyrie Irving maybe kind of worrying about that, or maybe even Kevin Durant? Because, I mean, they're known to kind of go off the beaten path in terms of how to really function as like an NBA player outside the court. Do you think there's any worry with the Nets organization over there with vaccination status? I think that's a very good point you just made, especially <laughs> about Kyrie Irving. I mean, he's been known to have some outlandish Oh yeah, big time. takes. I mean, for example, the flat earth debacle. I think he has a point there. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. But and also with all the drama with the bubble, I think but I think when it comes down to it, especially with those players that I think Kyrie and Kevin Durant will recognize that they really have an opportunity to be the heavy favorites for a championship this year. And that if they can set aside their personal reasons, they can probably go get it done. And so I think, I think the will to win will, I mean, outweigh these personal issues they might have of getting vaccinated. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So the Jazz, we're obviously we're going to be talking more about them come we come closer to the season because preseason's just right around the corner, and then what do you know? Our regular season starts next month, which is crazy. Feels like we just ended, but we we just really we have to talk about this Utah football drama because this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this probably has to be probably one of the most dramatic weeks of Utah football at least I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I think it all has to do with the new transfer portal, and we can get we can get your thoughts on that later, but. First off, we have to talk about the breaking news. So we learned this week that the starting quarterback for the past three games, or sorry, the past two games and a half, I guess, Charlie Brewer uh, left the program after Kai Whittingham had announced that they had made their starting quarterback decision, but he hadn't come out and actually announced who it was. But of course, when we saw that Charlie Brewer left the program, we had to have known that it, of course, was going to be Cam Rising. What are your what were your initial thoughts when you heard that Charlie Brewer was going to leave the Utes? My initial reaction was astonishment. Yeah, that was mine as well. Because 
especially from Charlie Brewer's point of view, I cannot imagine that he didn't see this coming. I mean, this was a Utah football team that had sky-high expectations for this season coming in. And especially for Charlie Brewer in specific, that he was going to help change this football team and really make us a contender. And yet these first couple weeks, we just really haven't seen it happen. And especially last week with the loss to SDSU and how and what happened once Charlie Brewer was benched and how Cam Rising and the rest of the football team, how they responded, I think from his point of view, he must have seen it coming. And so that's why I was so surprised to hear that he was leaving the program. I mean, as a player, you've got to have that self-awareness that really I have not had some great games. And as a head coach, Kyle Whittingham has to make the decision that is best for the team, which in this circumstance appears to be Cam Rising starting the next game. Yeah. I I was in, like, personal attendance of last week's game uh, against San Diego State. And, And you and I both went to the BYU game, and it just felt like dead energy from basically the entire team but I think it really comes back to the quarterback really and and this is cliche but I think it's true that the quarterback really has to lead the team in how he conducts himself not only in how he plays but I just think in how he sparks the team because he's in charge of offensive play in terms of scoring against the BYU team BYU came out with incredible energy Uh, Lots of BYU fans have come out and said that's the most energized they've seen Lavelle Edwards Stadium. It it was a great environment if you were a Cougar fan. Then you go to last week's game, and being there was absolutely nobody there. It it was like a dead stadium because San Diego State is playing in Carson, California, which is a decent drive away from where their home actually is. So there were actually a lot of Utah fans there, but it was dead silent because our offense couldn't get a thing going. I mean, if your offense has zero yards after the first quarter, that should tell you something about your production. And the the fact that we actually came back and won that game, it, it has to go to Cam Rising. And I think that the entire Utah football fandom had to have seen after that game that Cam Rising is the quarterback of the future. Not only in, I mean, he wasn't, he's not, we can't say that he's more talented than Charlie Brewer because Charlie Brewer is a fantastic quarterback. He's obviously more talented than Cam. Players have outright come and said that. But what do you think was the difference between Cam and Charlie in the way that they played, especially on Saturday? I think really what it comes down to is, number one, their relationship with the rest of the team. I think Cam Rising has been in the program for longer, and obviously I think the players trust him more than Charlie Brewer. Something I noticed from the first couple games, besides just the lack of energy that was coming from the offense, it just looked like everyone was on a different page. And, I mean, with routes, I just remember a couple passes from the end of the BYU game that just looked out of sorts. And it, and from that point of view, I think the players didn't mesh as well with Charlie Brewer as they did with Cam Rising. Just like you said, Charlie Brewer has a better arm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He is a more talented quarterback, but that's, that's really not the only thing that matters here. If, you have, if you're a better quarterback but you are not on the same page as your receivers, it doesn't matter how good your arm is. And so I think Cam Rising right now, his biggest impact is, number one, leading the team and really getting 
like you said, getting some energy into the offense. And then number two, he knows the offense in and out. Yeah. And because of that, I think we'll be able to have better timing on routes. And then also that players will trust that if it's a play designed for them, that he'll get them the ball. And he knows. And also with check down options, I just think he because of his knowledge of the offense, it'll absolutely change yeah. the entire outcome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you, you think back – <clears throat> to 2019 in Tyler Huntley. And that was a fantastic offense that they ran. And it, it really went according to their strengths and what they were really good at. But the thing you have to recognize is that Cam Rising was in the booth that entire season watching, right next to the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, learning that offense. So he has not only the view of a player learning the offense, but actually handing out plays, being next to your coordinator, and actually get to see how he runs things come game time. And I think that's also a really big part of how he's so good at this offense was that year in the booth that he spent with Andy Ludwig. Like, that that just has to be a huge advantage. Oh, definitely. And also something that I've been very impressed with with Cam Rising this year has been how happy he was for Charlie Brewer. Yeah. And we talked about earlier this week about how he was a key part in bringing him into the program. Yeah. You don't see that. Like, he was the starting quarterback last year, and then he plays the host to the quarterback, which would obviously be the number one choice if he actually came to the university. And he he was the one who convinced him to come. Like, that just tells you something about him. Oh, definitely. And I think all the players on the team recognize that. They recognize that this is a team-first quarterback, and he's really willing to put it all on the line for each and every player, and and they respond to that sort of leadership. Yeah, and I, the stats back that up in the last game. Something me and Richie talked about, and maybe it was the, the past episode or a few episodes before, is we wanted to see a lot of the really key players get involved. Because you, if you have players like Britton Covey or Solomon Enos, we know about Brant Keithy, you have to find a way to get all of them the ball. Because we've seen it multiple times in the season. Once they have it, they can do special things. I've, I've thought that Britton Covey hasn't been used as well as he could have been since his freshman season. Because when he came in in 2015, I saw things from Britton Covey that no one was, I think we all just did not expect. I mean, he was an All-American as a freshman. Like, he, he was just putting up really good numbers as a slot receiver. And ever since then, I just felt like he could do more because I feel like he's making up for the points he's not getting on offense when he's returning punts on special teams because we know he's a great punt returner. You look back to the San Diego State game, once Cam Rising came in, the balance on the receiving was just fantastic to look at. I looked at that and I said, that's exactly what we want from the entire game. Britton Covey has a score. Um, Theo Howard has a score. Solomon Enos has a score. You just look around and it's like, these are the guys that I've been wanting to get the ball to, but the quarterback just hasn't been able to find them. And and something that I was able to hear that earlier this week on ESPN 700 is that Cam Rising is very comfortable under center in this offense. He, he is very comfortable with this. And I think the more that you know who your player who you're playing with is is absolutely crucial. I think as good of a talent as Charlie Brewer is, you have to know who your teammates are. And I think especially when I saw the bench on Saturday just erupt when Cam was going in tells me something that not only does Cam know his teammates, but they also know who he is. And I think this come this Saturday, I think we all I really want like all of you nation to see who Cam is. I want him to perform to the best of his abilities and prove that he can be that guy for the next three years for the Utes. 
So uh, I wanted to talk about the transfer portal a little bit because obviously this wouldn't have happened, you know, five years ago, ten years ago because of the new transfer portal rules. Charlie Brewer will be able to redshirt for another year and basically play next year for another program um, because of that transfer portal rule. But do do you like the transfer portal rule or does a situation like this kind of bring up too many cons for you? It brings up a lot of cons for me, especially with this sort of situation and and really looking into the of what happened last year with COVID and everyone getting another year of eligibility. That really changes the entire um, perspective of each player. It almost becomes a, okay, I'm going to go where I can start immediately. And that's the first priority. I won't go and to a program like Alabama, for example, where I'll have to wait for a couple years before yeah. I can actually get on the field. Yeah. And I think it really hurts college football because if players are just looking for the next place to transfer to, first off, you won't get as high quality of play because like we've mentioned, it's important that you know your team, that you build a relationship with them and you know your offense and you know your defense. You, It's important that you know the plays. Yeah, exactly. And then another interesting thing is that um, if players are coming out of high school expecting to start their first year, they won't get the kind of mentorship or the kind of development that they would have otherwise if they're just going to transfer to whatever school will start them immediately. So I really think this is a big problem that college football needs to look at immediately. Yeah, I, I, I just think Alabama has it down right because I think they have created a culture where this is a developmental program, right? If you come in here and you stay, we can get you to the NFL. And I think when freshmen go into that program, it's been said that they go in there and they think they're going to start. But I think it takes time to realize when you look at the seniors and the juniors at Alabama, how good they are. It took time for them to develop to become that. You and I were talking about the quarterback room that was in Alabama a few years back when you had Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, and Mac Jones were the first, second, and third string quarterbacks at the same time. And now, all three of those guys are starting in the NFL for different organizations. So that just shows you that if you're not starting immediately, opportunities will pre- will present themselves. Us as you fans know that, especially in the story of Alex Smith. he's a He was a backup quarterback. And because the first guy got injured and he waited for his opportunity, he got it and he made the most out of it. And so I think that like you were saying, this this transfer portal has made it all about the... I, I'm saying that college football is about the players, but the transfer portal is making it seem like they want to say, no, it's all about me. I can I can be a starter for any organization because I'm a four or a five star coming out of high school. And I just think that college is way more than that. I think if you really go to those key universities that can really turn your game up, like that's what college is about. It's about developing guys to become NFL players. And I think if you wait your turn, like you can find that out. I'm just, right now, I'm just thinking about um, Jack Tuttle, who was a quarterback commit that we had, oh man, I want to say maybe three years back. And he was really highly touted out of out of high school. He looked really good. But because he really wanted to start and he was put behind Jason Shelley, he decided to transfer. So he goes to Indiana. And what do you know now? He's the backup over at Indiana a few years later. Like, it, it just doesn't change. And I think that this is really impacting college football. Um... So another topic, I guess, about 
quarterbacks and transfer portals. Earlier this week, Gordon Monson of the Salt Lake Tribune said that Utah football is a place where quarterbacks go to die. Yikes. Okay, that, that, I mean, that's that's harsh wording, but do you agree with what he says? I don't. At all, actually. I think that it, it definitely takes a special type of quarterback to play at the University of Utah. And what I mean by special type is Utah, historically, has always been a run-first offense. That's the way the system is run, and we've dominated the line of scrimmage. And when quarterbacks have really been able to buy in to that system, they've been able to succeed. I look at Tyler Huntley. He was already mentioned earlier on the podcast, but he is a great example of someone who bought into the system and was able to exceed all expectations that we had for him. Had a spectacular final season at Utah and is now doing well in the NFL. Yeah. And so I don't think it is a place for quarterbacks to die by any means, but they just need to recognize what what their role is on the team. Yeah. I mean, we know that Kyle Whittingham really likes to run a run-heavy offense. It's all about the running backs. You look back for the past decade, especially in the Pac-12 era, every running back that we've had has had a successful career afterwards. Um, a few of them are in the NFL, and... I mean, I'm John White's in the Canadian League, so I guess it's the, the NFL of Canada. But you can just see that it's a running back university. and But you look at the quarterbacks, and we haven't had bad quarterbacks, per se, where quarterbacks are, are losing their careers. But I think quarterbacks that, like you said, really understood the program and knew their assignment. You even look back to, I'm just thinking, what, maybe in the past 15 years, we've had three or four really good quarterbacks. You have Alex Smith, Brian Johnson, um, Tyler Huntley. I mean, I guess you can include, like, maybe John Hayes had a few good throws. Jordan Wynn was oh, decent. You had, I'm not sure I'd put Jordan Wynn in the same category as those I'm just, other I'm quarterbacks. Just named, I mean, you had the baby giraffe and Travis Wilson. Um, I mean, who had a few good games. But what I'm saying is these quarterbacks were not bad, per se, in being one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. But what they did was... They knew their assignment, they did it well, and they didn't have bad stats by any means, but they just really knew that this was a run-heavy offense. So I just really think that this narrative comes especially from these last two grad transfer QBs because um, Charlie Brewer and Jake Benley both came from really pass-heavy offenses from Baylor and South Carolina. Like, you look at their stats and it speaks for themselves. When you have a a player who's thrown for almost 10,000 yards... Like, you can tell that they basically passed on almost every play. Their offense was just run very differently. And Charlie Brewer is a natural talent, but I just don't think that what he liked to do really meshed well with the system that Andy Ludwig, Andy Ludwig and Kyle Whittingham have running over at the U. I think it worked the same thing with Jake Bentley. Like, it, it just didn't work well. It didn't mesh well together. It's not to say that both of those guys are not talented, but I think it's just to say that it just... You have to find... Someone who works who works to fit you. That's why that's why colleges recruit guys is because they're looking for guys that fit into their system, not to fix their system to mold to a, a guy that they want to recruit. So, so let's talk a little bit about that San Diego State game because that there, man, there's a lot to talk about. Talk talk to me talk to me about what your thoughts are. Were you were you watching this on your phone during this? Because I think were you at the BYU game last week? I was watching this on my phone 
standing in the BYU student section. I was not wearing a BYU shirt. Let, let that be known. I just wanted to go watch ASU play BYU. And one key takeaway I took from that game is really it looked like the offense was just sluggish and had nothing going. Until, exactly like the BYU game. Exactly. Until Cam Rising came into the game. Yeah. It looked like nothing was happening. And then my second takeaway from this game was San Diego State had a game plan based on what they watched BYU do. It, it looked like I was watching the BYU game on repeat. Exactly. I saw a lot of, there were some quarterback reads yep. going on. And what I saw from, especially from the defensive side of the ball, that we were not able to learn from our mistakes last last week. And that really the same weaknesses were exposed. I'm looking at, I mean, they had 204 rushing yards with only 44 yards passing. Like, not, like you, you can't lose to someone who only passes for 40 yards in a game. Yeah, so, I mean, they obviously had a game plan, and they were going to run the ball, and they did it. Yeah, which is interesting because us as Utah fans know that the run defense is always the the staple of our defense. Like, our, our run defense is really good, and just our ability to create pressure on the, not only the offensive line, but just in the backfield, to just create pressure on the quarterback to make those throws. Because to be honest, last week's quarterback for the Aztecs, just, he, he wasn't that great. He had some legs, like, he ran for a ton, but he wasn't that great of a passer in any means. Yeah, not at all. And, I mean, that's going to be something that I think the Utes will have to deal with for the rest of the season is not necessarily a quarterback that can't throw the ball, but I think everyone knows now that, okay, game planning against the Utes, we're going to run it. Yeah. And we're going to expose their defensive line woes and really see if they can stop us and see if during that second half if they've got the legs to keep it going. Yeah. And, and like like we've been talking about, like the, the Cam Rising situation is obviously the focal point of this, this game. But speaking to the side of the defense, I think also turnovers has been a big one. Or even just like negative plays like sacks. Like we just haven't seen that at all in these first three games. The last the the turnover in the last game was not even Utah's doing. The the player basically dove and the ball hit his teammate's leg and it popped out. So it wasn't even Utah's problem. So that that for me that's like the really big key going into this week is I, I honestly believe that Cam Rising will have a good game tomorrow and the offense can get things going. But my my thing my worry is this that this defense can actually create some trouble for this offense for the off or sorry for the offense that they go against because turnovers are are a big one. Like, we saw that in the BYU game, even though they really only made three points out of those turnovers, I just think that was a really big difference between the beginning and the end, was those first two turnovers for the for the Utes. Um, so that's really where my key comes from, is can this defense create turnovers? And we hear that three turnover, three turnovers means you had a really good game as a defense. If you had that many turnovers, I think you did your job well. But going back to the side of the offense, Cam Rising, obviously, again, focal point of this year's of this year's uh, offense going forward do you think that he can be the guy for utah football not only this year but i guess in the three years that he has left can cam rising be that next quarterback like a tyler hunley for the Utes? i think he can i i don't think he will be as good as tyler huntley i just don't think he has the arm to yeah. do that yeah but really what i think stands out about cam rising is is how he's able to inspire the players around him and also his knowledge, like we've talked about, of the offense. I think that, especially in this year's offense, where we the offensive line has 
just not been giving the quarterback the same amount of time that they might be used to. I think his knowledge of the offense will enable him to really use his check down options a lot more effectively than Charlie Brewer could have. Yeah. And like something I was looking at earlier today was that realizing that Cam Rising has thrown about half the amount of passes that Charlie Brewer has, but Charlie Brewer was sacked six times in the first three games. I think for a loss of like 40 yards. Oh, jeez. Yet Cam Rising has not been sacked. He's thrown the ball, what, some odd like 50 times or something and has not been sacked. So obviously it's – Something yeah, will just click. Something's working. And so I think really him – he'll I think he'll take care of the ball better and also – I think he will not take make as many mistakes that lead to costly sacks. So I think he will really allow the offense to be run as it was designed to run. Yeah, wow. Very well said. I love that. Um, the offensive line, I, I think another key was that the offensive line, they made some changes in terms of the roster, especially when Cam went in, which I think was also a big point. But like you said, I, I just think he finds a way to get this offense rolling. And that offensive line, although it's not the greatest, it definitely looked different when he was in the game. Like, that's a great stat to pull up, that he wasn't even sacked. So, I, I just really want to see, man, I feel like, I, I just really want to see improvement from basically every facet of the game. We've talked about offensive defense, we haven't even talked about special teams. I think everything besides the punt return game is absolutely atrocious. Which is funny, because I think our punt return game is like number one in the country, or it's got to be one of the top. But you look at everything else, and it's just utter garbage, which is so weird to hear because Utah football, the special teams is usually, like, the best part of their team. Oh, definitely. This is so atypical for the Utes. And just what really hurt was the missed extra point. Ugh. And, like, I think extra points this year were 8 for 10, which is not – that's you, not acceptable. You miss one maybe in your entire career, and now Jaden Redding has missed two in a season. And then also missing a chip shot field goal in overtime, that also hurt. Oh. So I think special teams and even the punt game, I think there's a ton of room for improvement here. And, and also think about kickoffs. We've already allowed two kickoff returns in three games. Again, you probably only see one of those a year if you're you know bad enough. And now we've already seen two. Yeah, and one of them was against Weber State. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Man. And it's just it's just hard to watch. So for tomorrow's game against Washington State, we've talked about <laughs> every part of the team. What is the main focal point? What is the main thing you want to see coming out of tomorrow's game against the Cougars? I think the main key for Utah to win this game is to control the line of the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. To really give Cam Rising time to find his receivers and also on the defensive side to get pressure on the quarterback. I don't think Washington State is going to run the ball the same like San Diego State did. But if they have forever to throw, they're going to find open open guys down the field. So I think really just controlling the line of scrimmage will really translate into a win for the Utes. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow because Washington State has also had some some quarterback trouble this week because their starter had you know some form of an injury bug after last week's game against USC. So I don't know if the starting quarterback is going to be playing this week, but I, I, I absolutely agree with you. It has to be on the line of scrimmage. And like I said before, I think 
especially with Washington State's quarterback situation, they have to take advantage of the turnover battle. They really do. Because I think especially if you have a backup quarterback, that secondary has a ton of opportunities to take control of that. But with JT Broughton down for the season, I think Clark Phillips has to have an excellent game because I think we're always going to depend on Devin Lloyd, but we need to depend on someone else in that defense to really step up and make a play. So predictions, what, what, what do you think the final score is going to be tomorrow against Washington State? So I think my final score is going to be 31-28 for the Utes. I think it will be a game primarily dominated by the offense on both sides. and But I think the Utes, as long as we do not have any special team woes, I think we'll pull out a victory. I like that. I, I like that score. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit a little bit higher. I've been really off of my prediction so far, but I really hope I'm right about this one. I'm going to say 34-17 for Utah. Um, this is a... I, looking on Twitter this past week, I've never seen a fan base so confident about a team that's 1-2, and two, but I just think that Cam offers something very different, and I think this could be a different vibe for the rest of the season. It, being in the being in the stadium, it, it felt like a very, very different Utah team when he was in the game. Again, I did not get out of my chair for three and a half quarters, but when he came in, it just felt alive. It felt like a Utah... This was the Utah team I expected, and I think that... Being at home again, it's been a while. Being at home again in front of fans, I think will really spark this crowd. And I think this team is behind Utah in this game. So I think they they put it on the Cougars just a little bit. But they've really got their hands. They've they really got to work because USC is coming up next. And I think that's a game that they have to win. And we'll be able to talk about USC in a few weeks. But because Nate Graham is on this episode, we've got a special finale for you guys you guys probably don't know. Well, you probably do because we've never talked about baseball. I'm not that big of a baseball guy. But, I mean, I'll, I'll occasionally watch the playoffs and the World Series. Nate Graham over here is just the biggest baseball fan you can find, especially when it comes to the Boston Red Sox. Right now, they're in a great series with the Yankees, a, a very important series with the Yankees in terms of playoff competition. Graham, inform our listeners about this series right now. So, for all those people who are not baseball fans out there, which I realize is the majority of, so I'm learning with of listeners in this podcast. But the playoffs are quickly approaching for the MLB. And lots of the playoff spots are already locked up, but one, one spot is still up for contention, and that is the wild card spots in the American League. And this is something that it's coming down to the last week of the season here. And I think everyone knows about the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. It's, it's one of the greatest in sports. Yes, arguably the greatest in sports, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but um, so coming down the wire, we have the Red Sox, who are currently up two games against the Yankees for this wild card, for this wild card spot. Yet this weekend, the Red Sox and the Yankees are playing in a three-game series, which will more than likely determine which team gets that first wildcard spot. And um, right now, what the Reds, all the Red Sox have to do to keep their spot at two games ahead is really just split this series. But the Yankees have come out swinging. And obviously, there's a game going on right now 
it's the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Yankees are up 7-0. Wow. So looks like the Yankees will take the first one, <laughs> unfortunately. But there's another game on Saturday and another game on Sunday, which will largely determine what happens within the American League on in the wild card and, and ultimately the playoffs because yeah. Toronto's waiting one game behind. Everything is riding on this series. Jeez. So if you are not doing anything... <laughs> Saturday or Sunday night, turn on the TV and watch the Red Sox-Yankees game if you want to see some fireworks. That, man, I'm, I'm intrigued now. Now I really want to go watch some baseball. We need to have you on as our like MLB coordinator over here. We'll probably bring you on come World Series time because, I mean, me and Richie know absolutely nothing about baseball. Well, I'd be happy to be invited back. Oh, of course. So before we get to that, do you have a prediction of who's going to win the World Series this year? Who do you think is your top, top team? This put, put fandom aside, I guess. Oh, definitely. I mean, despite them not winning their division, I would have to go with the Dodgers. I don't think any other lineup comes close to the amount of just incredible players they have on their team. They have so many all-stars, and not only just their their lineup, but also their pitching staff is unbelievable. And... They've already locked up their playoff spot in the play-in game for the wild card. So really, I have trouble seeing a lot of teams beating the Dodgers in a in a series of five or seven games. But what it might come down to is that wild card game. Can the Dodgers really just win one game when that's all that matters? And if they can, then I could really see them turning the running the table and winning the World Series this year once again. Do you sometimes just wish you were from L.A.? Because I feel like a lot of L.A. teams are having a lot of success. I, I don't know. Did, being from Utah, a lot of the teams are just kind of average. I mean, I really wish the Jazz would win a championship. But, man, imagine if you were a Lakers fan or a Dodgers fan. Things would be going really well for you. Oh, it would be great to be a fan of a large market team. And also, not only that, but you have just a plethora of major league teams of just professional sports teams, there are so many you in have like California. Two for every sport. Exactly. And so all of your hopes are not based on one team. But just a quick baseball update for all those listening. The Red Sox have just scored three runs in the bottom of the sixth. So There is hope, Boston. There is hope. There is hope. All right, well, any final thoughts for us today, Graham? I'm just really excited to see, especially how this Utes team reacts this week i think obviously as pac-12 play opens i think this really sets the tone for the rest of the season and if utah is able to come out and dominate as we hope they will be able to i think that could really really enable them to compete for the pac-12 south wow couldn't agree more graham has shared with us some some very thoughtful and insightful takes tonight on sports and i really hope to have you back it's it's been a great time so, please, share this with your friends and family, and of course, go Utes!
gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT.